Assalamu alaikum. Hello, I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. So here's my view. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in life integration. Right? What does that mean? It means that you integrate your life and you do whatever is important. The scholars traditionally, Islamically, have defined wisdom as giving everything its due. Right? So, uh, f- family, spirituality, friends, community, uh, your own personal worship, your work, everything, you give it its due. Right? But to the highest degree. Even your body. Right? So I do sleep, right? So people, a lot of people tell me, oh, you don't sleep. You, you know why? Because they have um, a, a limited perception. So I have a very aggressive social media strategy. So I'm online all the time in terms of my published content. But some content goes out online when I'm sleeping, right? So someone gets a, a, a message at 7 o'clock in the morning and they think I'm there at 7 o'clock writing that. But I did that actually two weeks ago. Right? So they have this. I do this because I know a aggressive social media strategy is one that works. Because you're reaching different people at different times of the day in different time zones. That's why I do what I do. But I don't say to people, I don't sleep. I've never said that. I've never said, like, for example, something like, Oh, I wish I got more sleep. I never said anything like that. But when people see me, they constantly tell me, you don't sleep enough. You should sleep. And why don't you sleep? And all of these things. But you've just created this perception. So um, I do believe everything um, must be uh, given wisdom. So everything must be given its due, whether it's your sleep, your family, all of these things. Uh, but you have to be present everywhere. So... People will have no problem with the guy who leaves work at five o'clock and goes home and is in his house with his family and they say that that guy has work-life balance. But many times, and I've seen this with my own eyes, uh, husband and wives, where the spouse or the parent is in the home, but they're not present. Literally not present. They're texting other people or they're glued inside the TV or they're doing other things and kids are clamoring for the attention and they're not giving them the attention. So you might as well be at the office, right? So, so, so that guy doesn't have work-life balance, what people call work-life balance. So I believe you have to have life integration and give everything its due, but you have to be present everywhere. So it's basically quality over quantity, basically. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. Absolutely. But two weeks ago, I gave a talk uh, at the... At the central library. Okay, it awesome. Was about, it was about life planning. So I did some research on, on life planning. Awesome. What I found out was that a bride-to-be spends an average of 39 days researching and planning a wedding. Wow. <laughs> which, which only lasts for five hours. Yeah, yeah. A person want to buy a car researches for an average of five days. Okay. And when we want to start business, a business, we have a business plan and we take months and years. But 
none, hardly any of us ever do research or invest time in a life plan. So what do you think about life plans? Okay, so um, I don't know the term life planning, but I'll tell you what I do know. Um, we underestimate what we can achieve in 10 years, but we overestimate what we can do in one year. And so we, our minds become confused, right? So I believe we have to have goals, we have to have a plan or a roadmap. And I think we have to always keep the goal very far away. So what do I mean? It's been proven that when you reach a goal, you often think, is this all it is? Or you think, what now? Or you think, what next? I believe we should have big goals, right? So uh, tying in goals to what we talked about success earlier on, uh, in, in a number of talks, I've talked about Sayyidina Ali, right? Which is the Prophet Sallallahu cousin and son-in-law. And I, there's a lot of detail of how he was born, where he was born, and all of the detail. But at the end of his life, they killed him in a mosque in the Asr prayer. And when they did that, he said, Fuzhtu Rabbul Kaaba, which means, I have won by the Lord of the Kaaba. That is success. So... Um, that is a goal to to have to to die in that state, but also, for example, how do you want to die? How many people do you want at your funeral? Right. So when you think about it, when you're dead and you're going to be buried, whether there's one person or a million people at your funeral, it doesn't matter to you at that time, right? But here's the thing. If there are a million people, or, you know, maybe that's, that's a way exaggeration. So there's a few hundred, a few thousand people at your funeral. What does it mean? It means that you lived a good life. So that's a, that's a good goal to have. It's not going to help you then, but it will mean something. That you lived a good life. So, so I think we have to plan our lives, right? And we have to plan our days and nights. So Imam Ghazali said that, he spoke on time management. So Imam Ghazali is known as, uh, by some, as Khujatul Islam, the proof of Islam. And he said in everything, even your worship, you should manage your time, right? So for example, the best form of worship is Salah, right? And... Reading the Quran is, um, that's, uh, um, you know, as a high degree, obviously, as well. But you cannot read the Quran and Salah in the mosque the whole day. You can't. Because you have duties. Because this is how this world is. You have to actually go and work and feed your family. And you have to actually, you have responsibilities. You have parents or you have to, a, a spouse and, sibling, and, and children, etc. So... You have to have a plan of how you manage all of that. So I have, um, this is I'm going to inshallah put in my book. I have years worth of spreadsheets and printed Excel tables where I've been evolving my schedule for years. Right? So I'm, I'm currently busy this morning. I started with a new evolution of that schedule of what time to go to bed, what time to wake up, what to do in what hour. So my whole day 
is more and more moving towards a schedule, right? And there's flexibility in that because things come up and life happens. But I know what I want, right? There's an old man, Dr. Gulam Hayat. He's a retired doctor. He lives in Constantia. Very accomplished spiritually, right? In terms of um, many people know him for his work in community and and, and spiritual circles. Uh, But also... You know, in his career, he's a medical doctor, he's tired, his daughter is taking over his practice. And I've been blessed to know him for many years, and he's a teacher, a very important teacher and mentor for me. And he, over the years, he gave me lots of different advices. And once he said to myself and another youngster, he says, I know what I want out of life. And I think that's important. So he has a goal, and he works to that goal. And even though he's retired now, he's still on the goal uh, that he wants to reach. And so you have to have a plan and you have to know where you're going. But I think that also ties in a lot with knowing who you are. Because it's about uh, what they say, you can climb up the ladder, but if you're climbing up the wrong wall, then you have a problem. Right? So you can be you know, going for productivity, but if you're going in the wrong direction, then you have a problem. Right? So you can be going fast in the car, but if you're in the wrong direction, you have a problem. So I think uh, knowing yourself is important and then having a plan of how do you want this to end out? So what, what Stephen Covey says, one of the habits is beginning with the end in mind. So how does this look at the end? Mm. Right. So, uh, so yes, uh, you want to have lots of people come to your funeral. Like, do you want to be forgotten? So, so, Close family members will pray for you, yes, and friends. But will people know what you did? Did you do anything that actually has legacy value, right? Uh, people that, things that people can use, th- things that people can teach other people. So that's Sadaqul Dujariya, right? So like, what are you leaving? Or are you just trying to live the best life for yourself without actually understanding the value of people? So... Um, I believe that retirement is a myth, right? In uh, There's a, a human baby expert who I follow and have met and uh, base a lot of my leadership work around, Dr. John Dimartini. He, in one of his books, he has a chapter called that, The Retirement Myth. And Islamically, try to find me a accomplished Muslim, scholar, etc., who retired. You cannot find them. They didn't say, okay, I, I've done my work now. I'm done. So now I'm going to, you know, sit on a rocking chair and, you know, look at the lake. They didn't do that. They died what one of my teachers calls on the post. I think people have been um, fooled. I'll use the word fooled, although it's a strong word, word in this thinking of go to school, get good grades, go to university, get a good job, save for retirement, and then retire quietly and happily, right? That hasn't panned out well for many people. It hasn't worked out, right? That's that's the the idea we were sold. But it hasn't worked out if you look back historically. So I believe we should have a plan for a life that we don't know when will end. So it might end in five minutes or in 50 years or 80 years. We don't know. But we should live the best life so that our life has meaning. 
So, and that meaning is different to every, for everyone, and it ties in a, a great deal to who you are and why you were created, right? And that's a leadership paradigm, understanding that everyone is a leader. And people don't have this uh, common people or average people or lay people. Don't think that they're leaders, but they are. And they don't know that they have value to offer. So when we look at people, we shouldn't look at who they are today, now, year. We should look at their potential. When you look at someone's potential, then you your conversation and your interaction with them will be to hone them to that potential, to help them and guide them. Because we all need help, right? So I believe that uh, although I'm a coach and a mentor to many, I cannot live and survive without my coaches and mentors because I need advice all the time, right? I call scholars and and so so here's the thing. It's not only about in, in the Islamic environment, also in the business world, right? I had a, I had a, um, a question last week. Um, I have a business mentor I see every couple of months. Uh, I have two, but I'm talking now about one of them, but I just couldn't get a hold of him. I tried to call him, he didn't answer, sent him a text, he didn't answer, emailed him, he didn't answer. Um, so he must have been very busy, or he's out of the country, I'm not sure. I, I actually can't say, I haven't reached him yet. Um, but he's normally there for me. Normally when and I have a question, and he'll explain something to me, he'll give me clarity, right? And I do the same for other people, and, and it's it's a continuum, right? So I think that's very important, um, and we have to give back, right? Uh, a lot of people live just for themselves so that they can be happy or their immediate people, surroundings and inner circle will be happy. But I think that has um, limited value. Life is very delicate and very fragile. And um, we're seeing that I think more and more now with social media because we're seeing people experience you know death in their families and things. People that we know... And we don't necessarily know their families, but we see what they're experiencing. Um, there's a guy um, who uh, I, I won't mention his name for you know respect for his family, but uh, he's a Cape Town guy. Uh, I met him through business. We did some business together, and I met with him at his um, you know changed jobs, and I met with him at his new workplace. We had a coffee together, and two three days later it was his janaza. Right. And he was happy and healthy and smiling and he was fine, right? So those are like jerking moments where you actually realize, oh, okay, what's going on, you know? And and you know, I need to check myself. So uh, I think when we have everything in perspective, then, uh, you know, things make more sense. A lot of people that come to me are saying two common things to me. They are saying they're stuck and they're saying they're at a crossroads because... The reason for that is that they haven't, they haven't made sense of everything that's going on. So they're confused. They don't know where they've come from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know which way to go. So um, people are really, really struggling. And there are people, for example, who are coming to me who have uh, excelled in business, uh, either in their own business or in the corporate world, and but they've done it at the expense of their soul. Right? So they say, I don't pray. Well, I pray only when I have time. And they say, it's, it's actually eating at me. Right? Something is missing. So uh, people are struggling, struggling with that because of a lack of wisdom 
you know, at the outset where you place too much emphasis on something and not enough emphasis on the writing where, um, and that's where prioritization comes in. When you have all of that, and I don't have it all figured out, um, but I've, my, I've dedicated my life in understanding this and breaking it down in what I call deconstructing, right? Because everything has separate components. And if you deconstruct them, you actually understand, okay, what's going on? Okay, so this is how the picture is made up. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so just a last comment on um, hustle and money. Um, I want to explain in the book what I mean by hustle and hard work. And I'll give the uh, ex- example of Imam Nawawi, etc., People, a lot of Muslims have been told that money is a bad thing. Now, a, a lot of that comes from caution, which is wara. Wara is where people take extreme measures to caution a potential problem, right? So, uh, for example, and it's, it's preventative. And Islam is preventative. So the Quran, for example, says, La takrabu zina. Don't go near zina. The Quran doesn't say don't zina. Although zina is forbidden, fornication is forbidden, but the Quran says don't go near it. That's preventative, right? Because of that, I think uh, another preventative statement is money is the root to all evil, right? That's a myth. It's not true, right? Money is not the root to all evil. Money is simply a, um, a, a catalyst for transparency. If you're a good person and you have money, people will see you're a good person. If you're a bad person and now you get a lot of money, people will see you were a bad person. But you were good or bad in the first place, right? So money just makes it very transparent. Um, so, because I know people that are very wealthy, but they're the humblest people, like really, right? And I've met poor people who are arrogant, right? So money didn't make them arrogant. They're just arrogant, Right? This is the story I tell to debunk the myth that money is a bad thing. We know of 99 names that Allah has. Allah has more names, but we know 99. And one of them is Al-Ghani. I don't know if you know what Al-Ghani means. It means the rich. Right? So, so you might say, oh, but that's Allah's name. Because he's rich. Right? The... Uh, we know, so so there are f- uh, five right-eclided caliphs. A lot of people say four, but it's actually five after the Prophet ﷺ. The first is Abu Bakr. What do we know Abu Bakr as? We know him as Abu Bakr Siddiq, right? And he's he got that title after the Laylatul Isra wa Miraj, right? So there's a whole story behind that, and he got the title as Siddiq. Sayyidina um, Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, and then... Third is Sayyidina Uthman, and fourth is Sayyidina Ali, and then Hassan bin Ali. So Sayyidina Uthman, he's known as Uthman Ghani, Uthman the Rich. <laughs> that was his title. It's like in this, in our time, saying Uthman the Millionaire. But it's Sahaba, right? Number one is Sahaba. He's Ashra Mubashra. He's of the 10 that were guaranteed Jannah. So there's 10 Sahaba. The Prophet ﷺ narrated that they are guaranteed Jannah. And Uthman is one of them. But he was rich. So how does, it, how does that make sense that money is bad? But it's, if you have the money in your pocket and not in your heart, then you're fine. But that comes from foundation. So if you blessed 
uh, like myself to grow up in a home where uh, prayer was non-negotiable, in a home where service was the order of the day. My parents served people. If if people think that, uh, you know, I'm good because I serve people, I don't think that. Understand that it's what my parents taught me. That's all I know. So uh, when you have that foundation, money will always be in your pocket. And uh, it'll never... Um, it'll never affect your heart. It'll never sway your heart, right? So in, in one hadith, the prophet said, ask your heart, right? Consult your heart. So I believe we should always be checking ourselves, right? Checking our heart. Okay, does, how does this make me feel? Uh, if so, I have a little, little more money today than I had last week. Like, do I feel better now than anyone else? So uh, it's, there's, um, there's cures for all of these things. Scholars have written about it um, because there's temptation. Money is a temptation, right? And why do people steal? A lot of people is because they want to feed their families, right? Uh, but then you get the other side of the equation where people are fine, but they're just greedy, right? So how do you cure greed? How do you, So Islam has all the solutions for this. How do you cure greed? How do you cure envy? How do you cure jealousy? So it's about uh, fixing the heart, but you can't say that money is bad. Money is uh, a a uh, a neutral substance, right? So uh, so that that comes into the hustle conversation, where if someone wants to work to earn a lot of money and it's halal money and he wants to feed his family, there's no problem with him, right? And if someone wants to, you know, spend time and he doesn't have any money, but he has energy and he wants to spend time working in the community, there's nothing wrong with that either, right? But there is, you know, there's there's a hadith which people quote that the Prophet ﷺ said that he will be with the people, the poor people in Jannah. And I, my interpretation of that or my view of that is poor people in terms of humility and poor people who are... Uh, we have the um, sort of the character of someone who doesn't have, right? Which is what the Quran calls fakir or the fuqara, the pauper, right? So we are a fuqara ilallah, right? All of us, we are paupers in front of Allah, right? We are, he is the rich and we are the poor, right? Uh, but I think that the Prophet ﷺ will be with Uthman, though <laughs> so he was rich. This this man... Um, Dr. Gulam, I, I you know, apologize to say this about him because he won't be happy, but he's a wealthy man. I believe he'll be, inshallah, with the Prophet because I know, I've seen his piety. Like for 14 years, I've seen it. But he has money. He's not poor. Uh, so I think, you know, it's just understanding these context. Islam is, is wide and contextual. We have to understand all the components and I think there's you know, a joke that's been going around, another surface joke, which I think is very dangerous, is that people have been making jokes, even scholars, but the scholars have been serious about it, but they say it in a jokey way that, you know, people are uh, listening now to Chef Google and Mufti Facebook, right? It's like, people laugh about that, right? It's always funny, but it's actually true, and it's a very big disease, right? Because people are reading things and taking them out of context, um, and... Uh, people don't know this, but
but they're taking a a hadith, right? Reading it, especially in English, if you don't understand Arabic, right? And taking a ruling from that, or taking a verse from the Quran in English translation and taking a ruling from that, you will put yourself in a major disaster. And in my early days, when I was studying hadith, before I knew scholars uh, very closely and personally, uh, Allah gave me the example of that. I, you know, for time, I won't mention the whole story, but I took a hadith, I read a hadith, like I was reading hadith the whole night. Uh, and there was a hadith that was uh, repeated many times in Sahih Bukhari. And I implemented it the next day, right? But I implemented it incorrectly. And Allah sent someone who told me, no, that's wrong. Because <laughs> I took it, I implemented it in, in the wrong context. Now, the hadith doesn't give you the context. That's why we have fiqh. Fiqh is the codification of all of this, so you can understand what the whole context is. And so, you know, so people are doing this. They're Googling things and taking views. Same like um, there's a funny thing that goes around very often online about WebMD. It's this medical site, but I think it's, I don't think it's popular in South Africa. I think it's a American, popular American thing. And the joke is that people get, you know, one small symptom or a scratch and they go on there and they think they're going to die. Right? So they're going there for medical research. You can't do that. You have to go to a doctor who's trained. Right? So I think people shouldn't... Um, uh, I, I, let me put it this way. People should be careful where they take their knowledge from in the online world. Because... You know, if it's if it's scholars that you know that are reputable and they have a website, then that's okay, right? The online part is not the problem. The problem is when it's you don't know where the site is, you don't know who's running the site. You know, maybe it's people that are against Islam that are running the site. Uh, we're getting a wealth of information here. Subhanallah, Allah has really blessed you with a with you. It's, 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 it seems like a very full life. I mean, I know you don't sleep as much, <laughs> but uh, so maybe that's why you you really fill uh, fill your time with uh, with constructive things. But can you take yourself back to that seventeen year old pre um, pre uh, awakening uh, awakening if you call it? Because <laughs> part of the reason we establish AccidentalMuslim.com is that we catering this. To inspire the youth out there, maybe those that's a bit wondering, not too sure about the purpose or how to prioritize things, as you so eloquently put it. What advice will you give that seventeen-year-old self uh, in terms of how to leave your mark on this world? I'd say to my seventeen-year-old self, Alhamdulillah, what I did is um, I quote the hadith. Sufyan, one of the Sahaba, came to the Prophet ﷺ for advice. And the Prophet said to him, Aman to billah, uh, Say, so the advice is, Say I believe in Allah and be steadfast. And I think that's what I've been able to do, is to be steadfast. And that's what I'll give my advice to my 17-year-old self, is don't get off the track. A lot of difficulties that I faced. And the difficulties that I faced were severe and I could have gone off the track. Not, and when I say off the track, I mean not leaving Islam. I mean just not caring anymore. Not worrying where I was going. And it's the things I went through are very embarrassing. But I've recently started to talk about it. So um, I lecture at an Islamic institute called Mustafa College 
And last Saturday, I actually mentioned to them a few stories about this. It's very embarrassing what I went through, but I think I went through it in order to understand things for myself and to be able to teach people. So, so with these difficult things that I experienced, um, just very difficult, I'm talking about constrictive things, things that uh, almost physically paralyzed me, right? Some, some scary stuff. And I believe that if I just, if, if one minute on one day I said, bugger this, then I would have been in a problem. But even however constricted I was, however difficult it was, <clears throat> I kept my eye on the, the goal, which is the creator. So Allah is our goal, right? He's the objective. So, so that's been a great blessing. And that's what I'll tell anyone. I'll tell my younger self that. I'll tell anyone that. Just stay on the track. So in my life, uh, so people, you know, people listen to me and they, they read what I've done, etc. And they, they're quite impressed. I'm not impressed, right? So, and like, I'm not impressed with myself at all. And um, to understand this, Michelangelo said something. He said, uh, if you knew how much hard work it took, you wouldn't call it genius, right? Now, I'm not saying genius relates to me, but what I'm saying is that when you know what I know, about myself, then you then you're not really impressed because it's all blessings from Allah, right? So Ibn Taylor Sakandiri he said in Kitab al Hikam he said when people praise you, blame your own soul. When people praise you, blame your also own soul for what you know is in it, right? So I'm that's that's my paradigm. And then connected to that is that I've failed in many things and I continue to fail. But the point is the istikama. If I quit, then I know I failed. And every, every um, advantage has a disadvantage, right? So one of my advantages is that I don't quit, right? In everything, I've not quit. And the things I've not quit, some things it's turned out to be successful. Other things I'm still on the track and not quitting. But the other side of that, is that sometimes you need to know when to quit. Some things have to be quit, right? So some, some people say, like, if you buy a book and it's a really bad book, then don't finish the book, right? Stop reading it because it's a bad book. So then you, in that case, you have to know when to quit. Now, I don't know when to quit. So there are certain things where I question, okay, should I quit this now? But I'm not sure. But I can't because I don't know how to quit, right? So I struggle as much as everyone else. I think people um, uh, people are easy to see the success of others and think that they have it all made, right? And we all do that, and that's a big mistake because uh, everyone has a different struggle. So the Quran also says that, that we were cremated for test so that Allah can see who of us are best in deeds, right? So here's when I know I'm having a, when, when I'm winning, Right, so this is not you know this is for my personal self, not not uh, um, for people. But I want to share this, you know, to hopefully inshallah inspire people. I know that if I've had a very bad day and a very good day, uh, in 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 whatever order, 
bad first and then good or good first and then bad, but I'm in the mosque both days, then I know I'm okay. Right? And that's how I rate myself. Right? Like someone, it's, it's how you see the world, right? And how you see yourself. Um, there's, there's a saying which, which I actually believe, like it's, to me, it's not just a saying. There's a saying that when, you, when you're in a room, this is an Islamic saying, right? When you're in a room, you should think you're the worst person in the room. But I don't just think that's a saying. I believe that. In every room I go, I'm the worst person. So um, I always tell people, I'm in a hadith. I mentioned in the hadith. And people say like, wow, what do you mean? It talks about people are making zikr and Allah sends the angels and Allah says to the angels, what are my servants doing? And then the angels say, they are worshipping you, Allah. They are asking your forgiveness. And Allah is saying, send them, send them, you know, say them, say to them, I, I forgive them and all of this. And then the angel said, there's someone with them. And the Arabic word is, Laysa minhum. He's not of them. Laysa minhum. Right? He's not of their group. Laysa minhum. He just came by for some need. Right? I'm that guy. I'm not of the good people. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I, so, so, so I've been blessed to be with many pious scholars and pious groups of people. I don't believe I'm of them. I swear by Allah, I don't believe I'm of them. Right? Really. I'm just passing by. I know that there's good people there and there's blessings there. So I'm, I'm greedy for the blessings. But I'm not like them. And to me, that keeps me grounded. Because, so, uh, there's a story. I, I, I think I have it 100% correct. If not, it may be 90% correct. That said, now Omar um, said that if, like, everyone was to go to Jannah except one person, then he would be that one person. Right? I think that's, that's almost like Just what he says. Yeah. Yes. So, I, I believe that, right? Omar, right? So, not comparing myself to Omar, but, but I'm that guy in that hadith, Laysa Minum. Like, like, I'm in the mosque, literally. So, I'm not saying this, like, I wear my heart on my sleeve, right? Uh, you, all the people in my personal relationships, family, etc., you can ask them. Like, in personal stuff, like, I say how I feel exactly. It might turn out a bad thing for me that I did that, but... That's how I am anyway. So what I'm saying now is not to impress people. What I'm saying is to inspire people, right? So literally, when I'm in the mosque, I will literally say, oh Allah, make me like them. I will never include myself in them, right? Because uh, I don't know my end, right? And I have what is called, the Prophet said, I have two things. Husna dhan billah wa husna dhan bil ibad. I have a good opinion of Allah and I have a good opinion of the servant of Allah. So I have a good opinion of everyone. As a Muslim man, for us it's very easy. The way we look here, we can work, we can go home, we can go to the mosque, we can go everywhere looking the same. For a woman, it's very difficult because her um, hijab is outward. It's visible for people. So people very commonly judge women who don't wear hijab. Right? And I have a big problem with that. So I always say to them, the woman that does not wear hijab, how do you know that she does not wake up at 4 a.m. and pray tahajjud to Allah while you're sleeping? Right? How do you know? You don't know. So you can't judge. You have khusnathan. You have a good opinion of everyone. Right? So, uh, you know, I, I was at a family's house, family member's house this morning. At um, 
like six o'clock, like just after Fajr, pray Fajr in the mosque now, I had, I had to go to, to this house. And the father in the house is reciting the Quran, right? It's still dark outside, right? So how do you know he, if you see him in the road and he makes a mistake in the road, right? Maybe he says something wrong or maybe he's smoking a cigarette and you believe that's wrong. And, you know, because there's, there's a different opinion, right? There's haram and makruh view in the fiqh of that. So if you view as haram and you say, ah, oh, he's doing something haram. How do you know? Because he, he was up since 4 a.m. I know this for a fact. He was up at 4 a.m. doing tahajjud. He prayed fajr and he read the Quran in his home. But you don't know that because you weren't at his home. I happened to be at his home this morning. So, uh, Jamaluddin Khan, we, we thank you for accepting our invitation. We act, uh, thank you for becoming part of the AccidentalMuslim.com uh, movement from prioritization, building strong relationships, value adding, uh, keeping the eye on the goal. All these lessons, we have no doubt that our listeners will, will take benefit from it. I've taken benefit from it, and I'm sure my, my colleague Khalil has also taken benefit from it. So from us, we just say, uh, shukran, and we wish you all the best with your, your career. And beyond, I mean, if there's anything I learned today, is about uh, there's, there's more to life just in a career, but whatever you do, give it your best. Absolutely. And uh, shukran for that. I, I appreciate being here. And I want to give context to the people listening about the work that you're doing. Lots of leaders and people who have achieved great things are known by many. But a lot of people who are not so well known locally or globally, they also have inspiring stories to tell. And I think you're creating that platform. Uh, And I believe that we're all leaders and I believe that we all have greatness and I always uh, believe that we all have great human potential. So uh, it's a it's a sterling work that you're doing. And I think once you start digging deeper into this project, you will find that there are so many people with so many great stories that uh, you will uh, you'll be fully booked out in your schedule uh, once this thing really catches fire, because um my work is with people, so I'm with people quite a lot, and I'm amazed at at the hidden uh, gems that we have in our communities. So, inshallah, I, I wish you all the best. Thank you for that, Inshallah. Uh, so that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.